0: you're listening to the broadway belters podcast where we sit down with some of broadway's brightest stars to learn more about their journey behind the scenes Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Broadway Belters podcast. I am your host, Nick Ferreo, and I am so excited to welcome our guest today, Alyssa Fox. Alyssa is an original cast member of Broadway's Frozen, standing by for the iconic role of Elsa. She also defied gravity as Elphaba in the San Francisco, Broadway, and national touring companies of Wicked. Welcome, Alyssa. Hi, guys. How are you doing today? We are so happy to have you here. Thank you so much. Can you tell us about where you're from and how you found your way into theater as a kid?
1: So I'm from, I was born in Dallas, Texas, but I grew up in a suburb called Garland, Texas. And I grew up from a very young age. I sang my first solo at church at the age of four. So I've been singing my entire life. Both of my parents sing, And so that was kind of in me from a very young age. And I kind of went on to do more music things. Like I was very involved in choir and things like that. I didn't really get involved into theater until maybe my last year of high school, first year of college. So I was kind of a late, late into the theater world, but I was always in the music world. I always knew that I wanted to be a singer from like when I was born, like that was just... What was going to happen <laughs> there was no question about like well what am I gonna do when I grow up you know oh wow so that was so, you know kind of a singular <laughs>
0: path path for that did you go mm-hmm. to school for vocal performance then and not musical theater
1: so I went to a community college for a year after high school and I did more vocal performance in theater there because there wasn't like you couldn't choose like a okay a, what do you call it? major. Okay,
0: major.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then I went to Oklahoma City University for a couple years doing the musical theater program, which is a, a bachelor's in music program. I didn't end up finishing, but mm-hmm. I attended. Okay. Uh, so I'm not technically an alumna, but I went to college. You were there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was there. I was present. <laughs> so when did Wicked come into your life? When was that very first audition and how long was that initial audition process like?
1: So I was in college and I was not first of all, not a very good student. Second of all, same <laughs> not very happy in the world that I was living in. And so I really wanted to be a working performer and in musical theater. And so I knew When I first heard Wicked on the cast album, I was like, oh, I'm going to do this. Like, this is, I heard it. Like, I heard it and like immediately I was like, oh, this is like where my life's going. (laughs) Exactly, it's me. Uh, Uh, So in 2008, I, I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't grow up with a ton of money. So I spent pretty much all my money to go to New York for the first time. I'd never been to New York in my life. And I went to an open non-equity, so non-union cattle call, where there were about oh, 600 people lined up. We waited out there for a long time, and I and finally I got into the audition room. I had no idea what I was doing. I had never been to like a really professional union audition before, and I didn't really know what I was in for, but mm. they had us sing eight measures acapella, which is oh, like God. hardly anything, hardly anything. So I sang for them. And uh, they moved me to another room with another casting director with, like, the head casting director. And I sang more for them, some of the Wicked material. And then they were like, thank you. And then I went back to Oklahoma City, where I was living at the time. And they called me about a month later and were like, hey, you're on our alphabet list. You know, they always have, like, a running list of, like, who can we call? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be alphabet. Like, that's it. I got the job. And then fast forward to a year and a half later, I finally booked the job because they had oh, wow. I had come back and done so many callbacks. I had done maybe I'd flown to New York maybe five times. I flew to LA once. They just had me coming in and out a lot. And sometimes that's what happens with these auditions is that you have a lot of callbacks. And so I did that. So it took me a year and a half to actually get the understudy part in the San Francisco company, understudying for Eden Espinosa, which was very, very cool. Yeah. yeah, Like what a start.
0: What a way to, yeah. What a way to start that journey. What a way Um, to start. (laughs) Like you said, Wicked was like your first big job and it was essentially doing a full Broadway musical just out in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. What was the most surprising thing that you learned about the job when you got there?
1: oh so i was very young and i had never done a equity show before and i think it was kind of <laughs> i kind of learned trial by fire right like i mm-hmm. kind of learned as i went nobody like gives you a rule book and is like here's you know dressing room etiquette here's rehearsal etiquette so i was kind of going in blind very young and <laughs> i just I had no idea what I was in for. And it was really surprising to me the amount of professional, like these people aren't doing this job just for fun. Like this is a profession and you have to treat it as if it's your job. You have to show up on time. You have to learn your lines. You have to learn your blocking. You have to be a professional on stage. Um, And I think I didn't really expect that. I should have. But at a young age, I just didn't think about it. And so once I got, it was an adjustment period. I was late a lot, which was not good. Not good thing. (laughs) But I, I kind of learned through that how to have, To be a productive member of a Broadway cast. (laughs) So kind of trial by fire in that. But exactly. I learned a lot of discipline through just doing it. Because I had no choice. I was in the job and that was just what I was in for. And just got to read the I'm room and follow.
0: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So like you said, you were cast as an ensemble member and alphabet understudy in the San Francisco Company of Wicked. For our listeners who may not know, a lot of shows are structured in this way where they have a standby and then an understudy. So the standby is off stage; They're not in the show every night in another capacity. They are just first in line to go on if the lead or the principal performer cannot do so. The understudy is almost always performing in the ensemble every night and is second in line to go on for the lead role if the standby is out. So all that being said, did it take you a while to get that first crack at Alphaba? How long before you made that debut?
1: So I had my alphabet uh, put in the next day, I got a call that I was on. Um, oh my. So <laughs> I know it was very quick, but it was really amazing because I was green. I mean, green as in, you know, I mean, green, (laughs) green as in very new to this thing. And so the people on stage were so supportive of me, like I might have flubbed a couple lines and they were right there to like hold me. And like, make sure I didn't fall doing this. (laughs) Shove with love is a good, is a good, uh, is a good example of that. But, um, yeah, thankfully everybody was super professional and didn't treat me like I was a dumb kid, like I was. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, it was, it was, it was very quick after I had my final put in my dress rehearsal very
0: quick (laughs) into the show. That's why yeah. I, I guess also a pro because that you had just had to put in so it's still fresh.
1: Exactly. And that's sometimes that's the best kind of thing that sometimes the best thing is to not get worried about your debut and for it just to come out mm-hmm. of nowhere. And then you don't have time to freak out about it, which is that's kind true. of nice.
0: That's yeah. true. Was it a blur to you? Or do you remember like your first Defying Gravity moments in the show? Did you have any moments in the show where you're like, Oh my god, it's happening right now? <laughs>
1: Yes. So most of it was a complete blur. Like you leave the stage after that first show and you're like, I don't know what I just did. I think I did it. I don't really remember it. (laughs) Um, But there was one moment I had a friend of mine call me up and tell me, okay, you're going out for the first time. I want you to, during this one line in One Short Day in the Emerald City, she says, Alphabet says, finally, I'm somewhere where I belong. And my friend said, when you look out into the audience, just take that in, that one moment. Just like make sure that you feel that what it feels like in that moment to say those words. And so that was the moment I kind of let everything else go. All the adrenaline from the show just to take a moment to appreciate what was happening right then. Yeah. And that was really, really special to me, that moment. And so that line always remains
0: near and dear to my heart. (laughs) So when did you get moved up into a standby position? Was that still in San Francisco or did that come when you joined the national tour?
1: So I closed out the San Francisco run. We had closed that year and then I was unemployed for about two years. Oh, okay. I was working for a company called Little Maestros up here in New York, teaching baby music classes. I was working at another tea shop. Like I, I love tea. Like, <laughs> cheers! Um, but I was working at another tea shop then, and it took me about two years after that, San Francisco, to book the tour as standby. Um. Okay. So it took a little while, but I finally, like, I had to go in for more auditions. I was going to ask. Because they, you... they keep okay. auditioning you, yeah. Okay. So they wanted, first they auditioned me for, <laughs> not a dancer track, but a track where there would have to be, like, dance lifts. And I am not, <laughs> not even close <laughs> to a dancer. I always say, I'm not a dancer, I'm not a mover, I'm hardly a walker. Like, <laughs> barely, oh, barely can walk. Um. So... <laughs> So they had me come in. This is a funny story. I went into this audition and they were auditioning me for, I assume the tour as an ensemble member. And they, somebody had, they were like, okay, you're going to do a lift. We're going to teach you how to do it and try it. And so they put me up into this lift and the dance associate was like, okay, that's it. Just put your leg up a little higher. And I like looked at it and I was like, that's as far as it goes. (laughs) (laughs) So here I was with my leg just splayed out, like looking like the least... (laughs) least dancer person of all time and i was like okay so they kind of laughed about it and they're like okay we'll call you when there's a standby position opening up we know where you uh, stand with the dancing so let's just skip over that and go to being a standby on tour oh, man.
0: <laughs> which
1: fits my lifestyle way better, I feel
0: yeah. like. Oh, man. So as a standby, you certainly then get to play the role more often than when you're the understudy. Mm-hmm. How long do you feel like it took you to get into your alphabet, get comfortable with your alphabet and get to this place where you feel that freedom a little bit to dive a little bit deeper? You're not thinking about marks and notes and, oh my God, I have to exit here. You, right. kind of, you get that freedom a little bit in the role.
1: It's very hard as a standby to get it in your body because okay. you don't, first of all, you don't know when you're going on. Second of all, a lot of times you're not going to have a show and then a show right after it or a show the next day. So you can't kind of like learn from your show. Every show you do is kind of a like your first time basically when you're starting. And then it kind of gets into your body later once you've done more. It really helps if if you're going on for an entire week, like for example, if the lead has a vacation or something, or happens to be unfortunately sick, you have more than one show at once. And so that helps a lot in the process of learning what it feels like in your body to have to do that entire show as that character. So it takes a while as a standby because you don't get those consecutive performances.
0: You then got the opportunity to dive fully deep into Alphaba because you were asked to lead the national tour full-time it principal Alphaba contract. What Absolutely. did it mean to get that offer finally?
1: It was like a culmination of I think I had done wicked for I did it for a year in San Francisco, and then I did it for two and a half years as standby on on the tour. So it had been kind of this build up to like I want to do this, I want to do this. and I felt like I kept getting passed up and that was very hard for me because I knew that this is what I wanted to do. I was like, I can do it. I'm decent at it. (laughs) Like, this is what I want to be doing. So it was, I was really waiting for that moment to like take the torch and run. And finally, when they told me that I was moving up, it was like, oh, I'm actually going to do this. It was very scary too, but it was scary because I was like, I've seen a lot of girls really struggle with their full-time alphabet contract because it's incredibly demanding as a performer to do that show eight times a week. It's exhausting. I would say it's one of, if not the hardest female role on Broadway. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like a (laughs) marathon every time you do it. Uh, So once I kind of stepped into those shoes, it was really special because it had been this like culmination of all these things, all these years happening and being surrounded by these people in a tour bubble where you kind of only seeing these people for years and them being the first people on stage when I actually took the lead contract and I felt so good about it. And I always say like it was that year doing my lead contract, doing alphabet full time. You kind of have to live like a nun. You can't really go out and party. You can't, you know, scream really loud, at, you know, having fun with your friends or anything. You have to, <laughs> to kind of keep it, keep it ready to go at all times. But I think it was so creatively fulfilling playing Elphaba because it was so hard and I have never been happier wow. than doing Elphaba full-time even though it, t- it takes up your entire life but it was, it was it was so worth it. it because it was like it was like oh I knew I was gonna do this from you know when 2005 or something like that yeah and then it finally happened and I was like oh, finally really it happened
0: <laughs> You started to touch on it a little bit, but Alphaba is this mammoth of a role and I imagine becomes even more difficult maybe then doing it on Broadway because you're when you're on tour because you're on planes you're on buses it dries you out travel is exhausting um allergies allergies <laughs> in different, different climates different yes. weathers yeah but I have affectionately called you healthaba over the years because you have Ooh. this amazing vocal technique and you always just sound so on it how did you find that how long did it take you to get to that routine or whatever you were doing
1: So I I had vocal lessons from a pretty young age. I I started them in seventh grade. Um, So I had been like classically vocally trained for a long time, but then also belted in my free time at church, et cetera. And I was kind of always operated on a technique-based experience of musical theater. So I I always like focus on, I want to make sure that my voice is healthy through this because there's a lot of vocal injuries out there and I want to be able to sing my entire life. Yeah. Um, so kind of figuring out the different ways to make the show a little easier on yourself. I have a wonderful voice teacher and I still go to voice lessons. You know, I still have coachings and things like that, but a lot of hot tea, as I said, I love the tea. Love
0: tea. <laughs>
1: a lot of that, a lot of like steaming that helps your vocal cords, yeah, staying healthy is so important, and uh, that that not only includes your vocal cords but your entire body. Um, if you have like neck problems, like I've had in the past, shoulder problems, that really affects the way you sing. Uh, so you kind of have to be aware of your entire body and not just your vocal cords. But staying healthy is number
0: one. Yeah. Tell me about your Broadway debut a bit. Wicked, you know, must love them some Melissa Fox because after all those years, you get to go to Broadway and do a standby contract there. Was your Broadway debut a blur or do you have some memorable moments from that night as well?
1: We'll say my Broadway debut was definitely a blur. Even though I had done it on tour, I had never run the full thing on the Broadway stage before I performed it the first time. Very different. Because they had other people coming in that they wanted to rehearse that were going to be doing the show full time. Which totally I understand. They wanted. They were like, "Oh, Alyssa's probably not going to go on for a while." Cut to I go on without pretty much any rehearsals. I had maybe a couple hours. I don't know. I maybe ran the stairs on the stage once. Oh, wow. Um, I hadn't really had much experience on that stage, so my body was still in like tour stage world. And it's just different enough. It's just different enough to make a difference. Um, So I was extremely nervous, especially surrounded by this cast that I didn't know I wasn't super comfortable with, which really helps when you're really comfortable with the people that you're interacting with on stage. But it was a complete blur. And I was incredibly nervous. And I don't, I didn't really enjoy it. And I wish I, I wish I hadn't felt the nerves that I felt because I, I was able to do it and I should have just trusted in that. Yeah, That's something, something I had to learn.
0: So looking back on your time with Wicked just as a whole, what did that show teach you about yourself?
1: Oh, I would say strength. Strength, definitely. Okay. Um, it helped me to like find my power in my own self. Because sometimes when you're doing a role that often, for that extended amount of time the character bleeds a little bit into your life. Like I would like buy green clothes all the time. Like I was like, I don't know why I can't get away from the color green. Like I always, I don't know why, but it kind of bled into my life a little bit. But I, I'm happy for that because she's such a strong character. She speaks her mind. She fights for what she knows is right. And I hope that that's something that's reflected in my personality that I've kind of cherished through this time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: A fun question. Mm-hmm. Wizard and I define gravity or no good deed. Which is a favorite of yours? Did it change? No good deed,
1: hands no down. Good down. No oh, good you're deed, a no hands good down. Deed. All right. Oh, I love a no good deed. Yes.
0: Why? Why? Is I that? mean, the
1: rest are great, but no good deed was just the moan in the show. There was no nerves about like, am I going to hit the notes? You know, I didn't really have to save anything at the end of the show. So it was kind of just like, I'm going to put it all out there. And it's when Elphaba finally snaps. And she gets to go a little crazy. She's yeah, like a she crazy does. witch. And I really enjoyed the dramatic aspect of that song. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly powerful and heart wrenching. And I love, I love like a heart wrenching, dramatic song. And I felt like this evil witch, even though she's not evil, but having that power in my body during that song was really special because there wasn't that fear of like, you know, saving it for Defying Gravity. You know, when you're sa- singing Wizard and I, you don't want to blow it all out for Defying Gravity. But once you get sure. to No Good Deed, you're like, I don't have to save it anymore. I have for good after this, which is, you know, it's a you have to sing it, but it's yeah, not but like incredibly, conversational. you know, hard. <laughs> it's more conversational, exactly. Um, so yeah, that was definitely the one that I, I love the most. Still, awesome. No Good Deed.
0: I love that. One more fun question about Wicked. Sure. What is the... I think a lot of people would love to know. What is the process in exploring new things vocally in that show? Is, oh. um, you know, is there a rules like this is, you can try mm. this, but don't go this far. How is that? That's a good
1: question. Um, I think a lot of the girls like to try things and then see what happens. It's more like a ask for forgiveness not permission kind of thing yeah um so sometimes it comes out especially on people's like last shows like they kind of take that and the the music directors kind of know that that's coming on those last shows that people are gonna kind of take their time and do whatever they want on their last show Mm -hmm. um but during the run of the show it's there's not rules but there are certain music directors that are like i don't like this i don't want you to do this particular thing or you'll get a note from a director or something like that um, so there aren't like set rules of what you're allowed to sing, but it's just like we called some things like approved riffs, like that one of <laughs> things I've never felt in in a uh, Wizard and I. That was kind of an approved riff. Okay. So you were like allowed to do that. Exactly. But the other ones are kind of like, it depends on the music director and what they let you get away with. <laughs> and some people <laughs> let you get away with a lot more than other people. So some of the Elphabas that you see on those bootlegs do a lot more, and some of them sing more on the page.
0: hmm Yeah. There seems to be this correlation between Alphabas and Elsas now. Several women that have previously played the Green Girl have now gone on to play the Ice Queen in Disney's Frozen, and you are one of them. When did Frozen come into your life, and was that an intense audition process with this new Disney Broadway musical?
1: So I don't know if you know this, but <laughs> Idina Menzel kind of originated Elsa's vocal performance on the movie yeah. and Alpha, the original Alphaba on Broadway, won a Tony Award for it. Yeah. Um, so the music is kind of based a little bit around where her voice sits and the girls who play these roles, their voice sits in kind of the same place. So... I heard first about the Frozen auditions when I was standby on Broadway for Alphaba, And I kind of saw that and I there was like a light bulb going off, just like there was when I was like, oh, I want to be Alphaba! I'm going to do this. It was kind of that same thing where I knew I was like, I'm going to do Elsa. Like, okay. that's just what's going to happen. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. And I know that I can do this. I mean... There's a lot of graceful walking in it, which is not I had to kind of work on. But yes. uh, she's not a very balanced person. So, um, <laughs> but the audition process was again I had quite a few callbacks and things like that. And uh, it's so funny when you have these auditions, you're kind of waiting for a call and waiting for a call. And when it doesn't come, it's kind of devastating. And you don't really know when it's time to give up that. And so I had gone in for Elsa and it had been maybe a week or two. And I was like, I never got a call. So I was like, I didn't get it. Kind of devastated because I was like, I really thought I was going to get this. Cried about it for an entire night. And then the next day I got a call being like, hey, they'd love you to come in for the standby. Can you come and do another callback? And I was like, absolutely. And then I went to, we auditioned on a stage on 42nd Street. There was a blizzard that day. Oh man! A full-on blizzard. It was Come on. <laughs> a full-on blizzard, and so I walked into this room, uh, into this theater to perform for the director and the creative team. And <laughs> the director, Michael Grandage, goes, "What did you do to the weather out there? You did this." <laughs> so <laughs> I was already like Elsa in the room. So it, it was kind of uh, apropos of, of the audition day, <laughs> uh, but it was it was wild. Like that whole audition process was. It was also intense. I think these big roles, they kind of have all these callbacks to make sure they have the people that they want in the role and the people that are most suited for it.
0: Sure, of course. Yeah. When you're rehearsing a new Broadway musical from the ground up, like you said, this was your first experience with that, Mm -hmm. how are standbys involved in that process? When Casey and Patty, the original Elsa and Anna, uh, were working on scenes for the first time, were you and Aisha, you're on, on a standby, also called to those rehearsals and learning alongside them? What was your rehearsal process like for everything?
1: So a lot of our time in rehearsal and tech was us sitting and learning ourselves. There was no one teaching us the show. Okay. And so it was our responsibility as original cast members, as standbys, to watch what was happening, to learn everything that was happening in the rehearsals. So marking down on our scripts, the blocking, and we kind of had to do that ourselves. Okay. Um, and so it was a lot of sitting, a lot of watching um Mm -hmm. every now and then we'd there'd be you know a scene work scene with casey and patty that we'd get to watch and sometimes not sometimes we were just kind of uh around (laughs) but not yeah so they did more of like the the production work the pre-production and worked on you know what are these scenes look like and then once those were kind of set a little bit more aisha and i were able to learn the scene better
0: okay so, okay, so it's solidified of, and then kind of taught just
1: exactly okay. solidified and then well not taught to us but like we learned implemented, <laughs> ourselves. You implemented, we implemented ourselves yes <laughs> um but yes a lot of sitting and watching which is very hard to watch people do what you want to be doing you want to just jump up there and perform too yeah, and rehearse yeah.
0: Yeah. like
1: so it's it's hard being a standby and during that tech process you are sitting there for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours in the theater in the dark, just trying to learn what they're doing on stage,
0: Yeah.
1: and making sure you're ready to go on at any moment. Um, yeah, it's, so it's it's very self. You have to be like self self sufficient,
0: self learning. It's like one of the hardest jobs out there, man. Stand it's by. wild.
1: Standby is standby is a hard standby is, is very no hard job. and emotionally difficult.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about that. What's some, once you're in a run that, I mean, you know, I'm sure obviously like the rehearsal process is going to be emotionally difficult as well, but then when you're into the run of the show, what are some of the hardest parts of being a standby that Broadway fans might not even think about?
1: So especially on tour, there, there was only an Elphaba standby. There wasn't a Glinda standby. Uh, so when sometimes when I would have my dressing room, I would be completely alone. And it was very isolating. Doing alpha in general is isolating because you have people yelling at insults at you on stage and you're kind of, you have we're to live with this fence. Exactly, you have to live with this like social fence around you to like be able to play the role. Um, but it, it was very hard to like just be alone in those moments and not have someone else that knew what you were going through. That was a really amazing thing about having Aisha Jackson there with me being the standbys together, and we could really share in that experience together all the good things, all the bad things. Um, But when I was on tour, it wasn't like that as much. And I hung out with the swings a lot. One of my best friends was a swing. So we spent a lot of time together. Um, But it's really hard when you're on tour, tour and being a standby because the whole reason you're out there is to jump in when it's time. But if you have an alphabet that doesn't call out a lot, it'll be months at a time. Oh, wow. where you're just sitting in your dressing room and not doing it. And then all of a sudden you have to go on and you're expected to be, you know, zero to a hundred or yeah. even in the middle of a show. So it's very hard and emotionally taxing because you kind of have to occupy yourself with things to do. You're sitting yeah. in a, people are like, what do you do backstage? I'm like, I don't know. I read and I watch Netflix and I, okay. you know, play games with the swings and things like that. So it, it was harder on tour. I will say okay. especially because there were there were more alphabets that didn't call out. And oh. so you're just kind of sitting there and you kind of feel a little useless because you're like I'm traveling around with this show but I'm not really doing anything. And that's hard when it's like consecutive cities in a row. It's very hard to not do what you want to be doing in that moment.
0: Yeah, and that's sure. kind
1: of the the kind of the narrative that's gone through my life as a standby is like I really want to be doing this all the time, but also I love being a standby because I feel like I'm I'm good at it. I'm good at jumping in at a moment's notice. Um, and I know that about myself. And so it's worth it to me to, like, have those boring moments where you feel very isolated. And once you finally get to do the show, it's worth it. It doesn't matter how long it's been. It's worth it to get to that point.
0: Mm. Have you had mid-show switch-ons?
1: Oh, many. Many, yeah. many.
0: In both Wicked many, and Frozen? Many. or
1: In both Wicked and Frozen, yes. Oh,
0: wow. What is that? Um, what goes through your head in that moment when you get, woo! you know,
1: so a funny story about a mid-show call, on, call out. Uh, I it was pretty early on in the uh, Frozen process, and I had never gone on mid-show. Like it was it was just not something I'd done. I'd done full shows, but I'd never done a mid-show. And um, I'm a very sleepy woman, <laughs> and I that day I happened to be taking a nap
0: oh, during no. the show.
1: Bad idea, don't sleep during a show, especially if you're oh. a standby, like you could be called <laughs>
0: <laughs> Save oh, your nap for later.
1: Um, so I was taking a nap, just kind of under my dressing room station with a blanket over my head. One of the stage managers comes running up the stairs and starts like yelling. It's like, Alyssa, you're on. And I I stand up. I wipe the whatever, the sleep out of my eyes. I run down. We're on the seventh floor. I had to run down the stairs into the basement for them to slap my wig and costume on, put a little lipstick on, and put me out. It was six minutes from the time uh, I was sleeping to the time I was singing Let It Go. Six minutes. Ooh. And my adrenaline was just out of control. And so I don't even know what that show sounded like, but I did it.
0: <laughs> so wow.
1: That was a triumph, but it was, I will never sleep during a show ever again.
0: Oh, <laughs> um, that's an g- iconic story.
1: <laughs> iconic. Seven floors in six minutes.
0: Oh my Let God. It go. And then thrown right into Let It Go. Jeez. Right
1: into Let It Go, baby.
0: Wow. <laughs>
1: the hardest wow. song ever.
0: Uh, yeah, I was going to you don't even get the warm up. You don't even get to feel it out a little bit first. No,
1: it's like you're sleeping. Go. <laughs>
0: Oof. Wow. So you were the standby to Casey Levy as Elsa. What was it like working alongside her? She's, you know, so beloved in the business and notoriously kind.
1: She is notoriously kind because she really is kind. She was always like, anything you need, whatever you need, come to me. If you have questions, if you need something, like she was always right there for me. And so I always felt supported by her. I never felt like she saw me as some sort of competition or something. And that's something that happens in this business. People see their understudies or covers as competition. And she is a person who is so graceful in her ability to lead a company that she was so kind to me and took me kind of not under her wing, but uh, just as like kind of a Elsa's sister, Yeah, you know, yeah. and she's, she's just incredible. And I can't wait to see her. And Carolina Change.
0: Oh my gosh, I know. So I'm so excited. Excited. <laughs> so excited.
1: I just think she's just incredible. I think her voice is unbelievable and she's an incredibly kind of professional actor. So that Absolutely. was really special getting to stand by for her. Yeah.
0: I'm sure. Favorite moment in the show as Elsa and most difficult moment in the show for you?
1: Both are the same. Okay. Both are the same. Let it go. There's a lot of expectation that comes along with let it go when the first twinkles of the piano music start at the beginning of that song and you're waiting to go on in the wing, you can hear people out in the audience because they're very familiar with that song. You can hear kind of the buzz in the audience and them getting really excited. And so you're like, oh, these people are expecting this thing from me. And that's both a terrifying thing and a really exciting thing. And that song is so hard. Oh, man. Like, I will say the show of Alphaba is harder but that song, like "Let It Go," is just an incredibly hard beast to sing. It starts in the basement and goes up to the rafters. Like it's it's wild. So there's a lot of space in there to either freak out or take a hold of what you're doing. Um, yeah. But yeah, the most exciting part in the show was "Let It Go." I mean, that this the people the crowd goes wild after that Elsa dress change, and that feels so exciting. You're like I'm. I'm a part of these people's reaction to this. And that was really special, but also terrifying because sometimes that dress pull you know, you don't know if it's going to work.
0: Were there any ever mishaps on Broadway with that or no?
1: Mm, Not, not very many with me, but I think Casey was kind of the guinea pig for a lot more of those things because she was doing it from the beginning and they kind of had to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Um, back in denver you know they did the change so many times in tech and things like that um so i never really had a problem with that there were other tech things that affected my performances (laughs) but uh yeah sometimes things don't work in live theater and that's just kind of how live theater works yeah um you never know what's going to happen and that's part of what makes it exciting
0: Absolutely. Disney sort of stepped up to the plate with Frozen with their diverse casting in a way. Aisha Jackson, a Jelani Aladdin as Kristoff, the amazing Ann Sanders, you yourself have Japanese heritage. How did it feel to make these iconic Disney characters accessible and relatable to kids of all different backgrounds that were coming to the show? Um, yeah. Was this a conversation at the stage door? where kids recognizing that?
1: Yes. Kids Kids know what's going on most of the time. They're like, oh, those are actors. But a lot of kids come to the show dressed up as Elsa and that was really special. But sometimes when I would come out the stage door after the show, after I had been on as Elsa, the kids wouldn't recognize me because I didn't have the blonde hair, the Elsa braid. I don't look like I do on stage. And so some of the kids are kind of like, who is she? <laughs> what's going on here? This isn't Elsa. What are you talking about? And then I'll be like, you know, I was wearing a wig on top of my hair, but I have dark hair like you. And so that was kind of like a really special thing that I was like, look, you can have a different color hair and still be able to do this. And that was really special seeing people's reaction to Ayesha's performance. Little girls turning to their moms and saying, mommy, she looks like me. I can be Princess Anna too. Like I, you know, kids, it's so important for kids to know that they can do the things that they dream of doing. And I think having that diverse casting, having people on the stage look more like what America looks like, all different cultures, all different races mixed together and making this beautiful piece of art. I think that's so important for especially children to see that you can do it all.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It was so special to have so much representation there. Hopefully more shows will learn from it. Um. I hope so, I hope so. Frozen has unfortunately announced that it is one of the shows that will not be reopening when Broadway returns. How did the company get that news and how now are you able to kind of close that chapter of your life even though you were essentially robbed of the opportunity to get a proper goodbye?
1: It was very hard and it still to this day is very hard. There's some unresolved grief there, you know, it was a lot of loss. So we got, um, it was kind of all of a sudden we got on this zoom call with the entire company. They were like, we're having a 4.00 PM zoom call. And, um, the producers told us like it wasn't, you know, feasible for them to continue, which was very hard. And then we had kind of a company separate from that. We kind of had a company like sob fest on zoom afterwards. And it was so hard to see everyone crying and, um, going through this without being able to hug them and be with them at the time. Um, And that kind of stays. And I think it'll kind of stay a little bit. There's not that closure that you want to have with these people until you can see them and look into their eyes and be like, we created something beautiful together. So I can't wait for that day when we get to do that. But for now, it feels like a lot of loss. It feels like this year has taken a lot from us. And being out of work for over a year is hard regardless, but not knowing that you had a job before that you were going to return to um, was kind of a comfort. And then once that was gone, you're like, what does my life look like now? Um, so that was very hard and there's still a lot of emotional, well, clearly a lot of emotion there, but I can't wait to the day that I get to hug my cast members again.
0: And get that proper yeah. goodbye. Yeah, it just yeah. makes it, that's my immediate thought was like, It's it makes it that much more difficult to not have that human interaction with the people that you've basically spent so much of your life with. Yes. For the pat for that whole process, you like live at the
1: Broadway shows. Oh yeah yeah. that becomes your family, and to not be able to like share that grief in person with your family is so difficult. It's a whole (laughs) other level. It's a whole other level of that
0: situation. This Broadway shutdown has obviously been devastating to our community and the livelihoods of its members, but it has also given us uh, this rare opportunity to take a step back and have these discussions about this desperate need for some systematic change and racial equity right within our own industry. Mm -hmm. What changes do you hope to see when Broadway returns?
1: Like you said, I hope to see more representation in shows. I think a lot of times, either writers or producers look at these stories and they're like, what's going to sell better? and not kind of seeing the scope of who they could cast. They kind of have one idea in their mind and that's something that needs to be rid of. We need to get rid of the box around these roles and kind of be able to see other people in these roles that haven't had a chance in the past. And I think this time is a really good time to have that reset where you can kind of step back and look at the industry as a whole and say, what's wrong here? What can we make better? For when we come back because this is a chance to completely rebuild on this rubble of of our industry loss this year um so i really hope that that the equity of all performers is represented on stage and i think that's something that can absolutely be done but people have to kind of come together and agree you know to do that together as an industry and i Mm -hmm. think we are headed that way i hope we are headed that way and i think And I just, I really hope that in the future, people whose voices have been more silenced or not listened to, I hope that they're more listened to now that we kind of realize these issues. Uh, It's important for everyone to speak up and have a voice. And if they have a problem about something, not feel scared to speak up about it. And I think that's something that I think a lot more people will feel more empowered to speak out about things that you know, they don't feel are right. And I think that's a really important thing going forward in our industry to make sure it's great for all of us and not just Mm -hmm. some of us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) This is a loaded question and it changes for me every day. But how (laughs) have you been navigating this year? How do you find hope, motivation? And you know, how do you keep your love or your relationship with the arts alive during all of this?
1: I will say sometimes I fail. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm being a good human during this, this pandemic. I'm like, I should be doing more. There are people like making new things and sometimes all you can do is kind of exist in the moment and be like, this is all I have and kind of take that simplicity of your daily life and just live in it for a while. So I have learned a few new things. It's very strange to me to sing into a camera. Not something that I am used to. I'm not like a film television person. I really enjoy singing live. Like that's who I am. I'm a live singer, a live performer. And so it's very different singing into a mic, into a ring light, into a a camera. It's just so different. Uh, (laughs) So I've kind of tried to like fill that space for myself and try to learn those new things (laughs) that'll probably carry over and I'll probably keep using for, for a lot longer now that we've kind of built this yeah. virtual world around the <laughs> yeah. industry which is kind of nice uh, but I've kind of learned that I have in order to stay motivated I find that when I have a project or something to do it makes me feel useful and I don't kind of despair as much it gives me like a reason to get out of bed in the day I'm like I have something to do and that's something that's very hard to find for yourself like what what makes me happy or brings me joy in this moment It could be something extremely simple or it could be like a big project. You know, there are people writing like these epic shows and things during this time. But sometimes it's good enough to to just, yeah, sometimes it's just good enough to wake up in the morning Mm. and be like, look, I saw the sun for a second. And then that's enough. You're existing. We're going through a universal trauma right now. And we have to remember that to not expect people to be making the biggest things of their life. You know, I think when all this is over, people are gonna be like, what did you do during quarantine? You know it's gonna happen. Like, Oh, of course, yeah. There are people, you know.
0: People are already doing it. Yeah.
1: People are, pe- exactly. People are people and that's and good for them. Look, but right. everyone processes things different. And for me, my life has stayed pretty simple. I've kept it, you know, I have my tea in the morning. I maybe make some, a little bit of breakfast. I watch Netflix, I do my little art projects and that's enough. Mm -hmm. Keeping your life simple is not a bad thing. And I think that's something that I've learned during this time. I'm always kind of, I like my life staying a little simple, but during this time, even more, I was like, oh, I'm allowed to kind of have this time to just exist. I don't have to be doing anything. There's no should. And I think that's something I've really discovered this year, that there's no should, there's no like way to handle this. None of Mm -hmm. us have ever done it before. And so each person has their different way of handling this. And for me that has been to keep it simple but also have a project to work on so you have some sort of future goal. And that's kind of kept the hope in me is to have that something to look forward to.
0: Okay. When we are finally allowed to get back to work, what hopes do you have for your career after this? What would you like to accomplish? Are there <laughs> roles that you dream of? Um, yeah, what are, what are your hopes for the future for yourself?
1: <laughs> so, I, as we talked about, I kind of climbed that ladder from, as Alphaba, from yes. understudy to standby, to lead on tour, to standby in Broadway. I never got to the top of that ladder. And so I really, really want to get to the top of that ladder someday.
0: And the people want it too. <laughs> I hope so. The people want <laughs> so, it. I want it. Something
1: <laughs> I would really, I, I, something I would really, really enjoy to do again and to just kind of feel uh, some closure there.
0: Yes. Um, yes.
1: But, uh, you know, I've enjoyed playing Alphaba and Elsa and I could do it for the rest of my life and be happy. You know, like I, I, some people get tired in a show really quickly, but I'll do like seven years of Wicked and be like, I'm still good. Like, let's keep going. <laughs> so I I love playing those roles. And if I'm okay. ever called back to do either of those roles, I'm like, I'm in. Let's go. Let's do this. Oh, cool. I'm ready. Um, so kind of my dream roles are roles that I've done, which is Full really time. incredible.
0: Yeah. But yeah. It's, a, it's a journey and you want to kind of get to that you know that that bow on the end of that journey. I exactly awesome.
1: exactly. but also I have to take that being standby is incredible in itself. and I don't oh, yeah. take adva- I don't and take that for granted yes. for sure. It's a complete accomplishment. That's just something I dream about. I'm like, I would really like to play off full time on Broadway
0: my fingers Um, are crossed for it
1: (laughs) i know thank you i appreciate that someday the industry will come back and we'll come back stronger than ever
0: yes exactly all right our final question reflecting on everything that you have achieved over the years what would you say to that young bright-eyed Alyssa fox showing up in san francisco who had such big dreams of what the future held for her what would you like to tell her i
1: would tell 23 year old Alyssa fox doing Wicked for the first time as understudy in San Francisco. Stop being late so much. Don't be late. (laughs) Don't be late for rehearsals or the show. It's just a bad look. It's bad for your career. It's bad for your reputation. Just don't do it. So, I I mean, as a funny thing there, I would say stop being late, Alyssa. Um, But also, I would tell myself, my life truly changed, you know, and it didn't stop there. It didn't stop with me getting, you know, the understudy for Alpha in San Francisco. It kept going and it kept going and growing and growing and growing. And I think you never know how wonderful the scope of your future is going to be in the moment until it happens. And you look back and you're like, oh, I had no idea. And so I think I would just tell myself, keep it together. You have no idea what's coming. And I hope that's still the case.
0: (laughs) You have no idea what's coming. I
1: hope, you know, (laughs) 10 years from now, I look back on me now and being like, you felt hopeless in this moment, but look what you accomplished.
0: Love that. Love that. Well, thank you so much, Alyssa. This was so much fun. My
1: pleasure. This was lovely. You know, laughter, tears, all the things. We did it all. (laughs) It's what what, uh, theater brings to the table. nice
0: mid-afternoon, therapeutic, uh, cathartic conversation. Exactly.
1: Very lovely to have this conversation to like reflect on my career and my life. So thank you for that.
0: Well, thank you. Hey, Broadway Belters listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, you can help us out by subscribing and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on Instagram at Belters Podcast. And if you're feeling extra supportive, go ahead and share today's episode with a friend. The Broadway Belters Podcast was produced today by me, Nick Ferreo. Thank you for listening.